0: fans this is max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of yes UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest yukon basketball teams of all time and we have arrived at our final quarter, uh excuse me our final first round matchup in the uh, greatest teams tournament challenge And uh, so last week we had what I I expected would be one of the most uh, tightly contested matchups between uh, the 1996 team, uh, Ray Allen's uh, junior year, uh, famously won the Big East title. And uh, the dream season team, the 1990 team that really put UConn basketball on the map. And um, you know what? I have to say, like, 19, it was, uh, the debate was very even. Uh, certainly a lot of people were really supportive of both sides, but it ultimately was a clear winner. The uh, 1996 team won fairly convincingly uh, by uh, 65% to 35%. And um, I think it was just a, a case of, like, you know, two great teams, but like, you know, it's kind of hard to overcome Ray Allen. So, Tim, I don't know. What do you think of what did you think of the kind of the results there and how things played out?
1: Yeah, I wasn't really surprised with how much great debate we had between uh, the two teams. But I think people recognize that, like you said, Ray Allen's very hard to overcome. And that was just, you know, two incredible teams. But um. Yeah, I'm not surprised by '96 taking
0: it. Yeah, I think in re- in retrospect, it makes sense. It, it, I, you could probably make the case now that we've really talked about all these teams. '96 was probably the most under-seeded team in the field. Like, just looking at them, just like, oh my god, like <laughs> that that team was unbelievable. <laughs> and then you look at the teams ahead of him, you're like, okay, well, like all these other teams won national championships or were like ranked in the top three all season. Also, yeah. So it really is just a case of just U- UConn basketball has had a lot of really good teams. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what can you say? So uh, 96 is moving on and they will be facing the winner of our final first round matchup today between the number two seeded 2004 team, uh, the heavy favorite, I would say, and uh, the uh, their opponent, the number 15 seeded 2016 team, which I think would you could probably say is the, uh, you know, the 2014 team is weird. Like they were in the American Athletic Conference and they were coached by Kevin Ollie, but like they feel like that they belong to the Big East era you know, obviously because of the, the roster, you know, holdovers and stuff. So 2016, I think was like really the, the high watermark of the AAC era, as we kind of know and understand it. Uh, you, you would say that's probably a fair, fair statement, right, Tim?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, Anyway, um, that team famously, obviously, uh, the highlight of that season was Jalen Adams' uh, preposterous uh, buzzer beater from almost full court in the American Athletic Conference championship. We we did a, a, a episode on it a little while back. I, I still could you just imagine if that moment had happened at Madison Square Garden? I I can't even imagine it would have like a black hole would have opened up on the court and like everyone would have just got sucked right into it or something like that. It was yeah, unbelievable that stuff been wild.
1: That game was already felt like a home game just watching it back earlier this morning. It was like it was clearly a UConn home game in Orlando. Uh, shout out to the Snowbirds and everyone down there. But uh, yeah, if that if that was in Madison Square Garden, I don't think Madison Square Garden
0: would be standing anymore. It would have just been like total. I mean, like Cardiac Kemba was awesome. I mean, You know, Jalen Adams from way downtown, it was just, (laughs) it would have been, it would have been something else. That's for sure. Um, yeah so anyway, Tim, you were uh, taken on the task of defending the 2016 team today. Uh, I, I hope that you can do a better job as I did with 2003 a couple of weeks ago <laughs> so <laughs> I'll do my best <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about this team uh, for those who may not remember um, you know what kind of what this team's deal was kind of where their place in Yukon history you know all that good stuff yeah for sure
1: uh, I will also say that I I know we've been kind of like you know, Planning out who we were gonna defend in each episode, but I, I did text you saying I would take twenty sixteen because this was uh this was my last season covering the team. Um, I covered them about halfway half of the season before I started my my new job, um, and it was a really interesting team to, to cover and an interesting team to watch later on in the season as a fan. Um, you know, like you said, now we're like we're fully into the AAC. This is. This is pretty much an AAC squad. A couple holdovers from, from the national championship team. You've got to meet um You've got, Bryma, um, you've got um, Omar Calhoun, Phil Nolan. But those guys weren't really, you know, key producers on this team. They were obviously Abraima and uh, and Nolan were really rotating at the starting center spot. But other than that, you know, Calhoun had really fallen off late in his career from the from the huge freshman season he had in twenty. Uh, 2012 or 2013 um so just a really interesting setup on this team you know the core guys you've got rodney purvis uh leading leading scorer started uh only started 21 to 36 games but you know a guy who had a really interesting career at uconn after transferring from nc state um very feels like you know looking back a, a universally fairly beloved player but a guy who didn't necessarily always deliver the way we thought he was going to especially after Kevin Ollie called him a Ferrari, just sitting in the garage waiting to get out on the road. Um, but he was the leading scorer on this team at 12.8 points. But obviously, the standout player on this team in 2016 was Daniel Hamilton. Um, just an outstanding season from him. This was uh, his second and final year at, at UConn before he went on to test the NBA draft waters. And, it was a really good year for him. Twelve and a half points, eight point nine rebounds. He was the leading rebounder on this team, and he was also the leader with four point seven assists. He was a guy who could score, a guy who could you know set other guys up, I and mean, he did. He did everything on this team. He was just an outstanding Swiss Army knife to watch out on the floor. Um, and two two the other core four, as I would call them, the were grad transfers Sean Miller and Sterling Gibbs, guys who came in for their for their grad season and. Really left their mark on this program. I think I, I think I can speak for a lot of UConn fans when I say these are very well beloved players from this one season. Um, guys who really stepped up when we needed them. Um, like I said, Brima, um, Calhoun, Nolan Kenton Facey was a junior on this team. Um, Jalen Adams was a freshman and um, really interesting freshman year for him. Obviously. Um, his shot against Cincinnati will live on in history and was you know you could see throughout the year it was this really the start of something that would go on to be a really great UConn career um other than that just some guys that weren't necessarily big producers on this team but a couple of familiar names Stephen Enoch played in 27 games and averaged 1.6 points before he went on to a really good career at um at Louisville he was the really highly rated recruit coming out of Norwalk and just it didn't really pan out at UConn um Sam Cassell Jr. was also on this team obviously the son of Sam Cassell the NBA star um he had come to UConn and it just uh he ended up transferring later on in his career so didn't really uh didn't really put up the numbers that would you know put him in comparisons with his dad but you know that's not a not an easy thing to do and then just for me i i really enjoyed the three walk-ons on this team guys that people will be familiar with namdi and Milo, christian fox and mike noise um some of those you know walk-on hero kind of guys who really got the people going when they got to get into games um and they had some chances this was you know this was a good team i think you know they're they're obviously the 15 seed in this in this tournament but it's it was a really interesting team. You know, we look back on the American years and we, you know, we get really upset and we think about, you know, how far UConn fell after winning the 2014 title. But this 2016 team was kind of the kind of the crescendo before the fall. And they, uh, you know, they, they made it to the NCAA tournament. They were 25 and 11, um, 26 and Ken Palm by season's end. And not a lot of bad losses. Uh, they, oh, I'm just going to read out, you know, the the losses were against um, teams that were all within the top ninety of Ken Palm, and that is even being generous. You know, early on it was twenty seven Syracuse, twenty one Gonzaga, twenty two Maryland uh, between games at the Battle for Atlantis, which UConn is going back to this year, and then a trip to Madison Square Garden. Um, I believe that was the Jimmy V Classic against Maryland. Um, Kevin Alley throwing the papers on the floor and um, really uh, really upsetting loss there, but. Um, you know, they go on, they string together a few results after that. They, early in the year, they beat Michigan, uh, in Atlantis by 14. That was a good result at the start of the year before those back-to-back losses. Um, but beat Ohio State, kind of a bad Ohio State team in fairness. Um, beat Texas on the road, avenging that buzzer beater loss at Gamble the year before. Um, that was a solid win. Texas was 39 in Ken Palm. They, they did get swept by Temple in the regular season in the American, but that was, uh, and that was a Temple team that went on to win the regular season title, get the number one seed. And those are just a couple of ugly games. UConn, Yukon really blew those. They uh, they had the lead, and then you know at home they lost by two in an ugly, ugly 55-53 game. And you know then they gave away a big lead against Temple and ended up losing by five on the road later in the season. Got swept by Cincinnati during the during the regular season. They, since he was 32, and Ken Palm another. Really solid team. Just, again, those were ugly games, you know, the kind of UConn-Cincinnati games that we all came to know and love. Um, UConn kind of gave away the one at home, too, that 58-57 loss where they had the lead, they gave it up. The Cincy gets an and-one late in the game um, in the final seconds, and then UConn gets, like, three opportunities at the buzzer and just doesn't take any of them. Um, lost to Houston late in the season. Houston was 61. Lost to SMU badly. Badly eighty to fifty four. SMU finished sixteen in Ken Palm. Just other than that, losing away at Tulsa, that was uh that was kind of the Yukon special. Of course
0: uh, they lost away at Tulsa. Like when yeah, like that that was like almost like the worst meme of the AAC years, right? Like Yeah,
1: that's kind of why I brushed over it. I was kind of, I was trying to go a little bit sequentially, but then I just saw, you know what, they lost at Tulsa of course they did. Frank Hayes had their number when they uh, when they went down there and played in those stupid games on CBS Sports Network at nine o'clock at night. Good times, um, huh? <laughs> I can't complain. I do love the Big East games on CBS Sports, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: but no, I meant like know, the just the entire situation of playing that team at oh, that time. Yeah. no, I know, it's I know. Yeah, one. I
1: was. Uh, I mean, th- again, we're like we're fully into the American here. Everything's terrible. We're we're hating we're hating existence, but you know this was a it was a it was a pretty solid year for the AAC. You know, Temple ends up as the one seed in the tournament. Houston gets the two. You know, uh, I think it was Tulsa at the three, and then UConn, Memphis, and Cincy were all there between four and six, and all UConn fighting on the bubble when they get to the conference tournament. People did think that Cincy, even as the as the four seed in the American, were pretty safe in the tournament when they get down to Orlando. UConn was pretty much playing for their lives in that first game, and they were in the first four out. Actually, they were in Lenardi's first four out when they get to Orlando and play in one of the greatest UConn games of all time, the four-overtime win over Cincinnati, 104-97, but – the score doesn't matter. It was the Jalen Adams game. The yeah, Jalen Adams shot,
0: and I feel like it needs to be emphasized. If he doesn't hit that shot, it's a good chance UConn's season might be over, or at the very yeah. least, there in the NIT. Like that was what that was like. What swung in making that shot? It's unbelievable. Like the, yeah. the stakes and just what that shot meant. Really, it's like as crazy as it, as it was just to watch. Like the spot he made it in. Like what is like what are we t- talking about here? That's unbelievable.
1: but I always like I think every time I watch it back I find it so funny because when um, when Johnson from Cincinnati makes the three deep three point eight seconds left since he goes running off celebrating UConn's just kind of down and Hamilton looks like he's waiting for someone to go inbound the ball uh, because you know Daniel Hamilton he wanted the ball in his hands late in the game but Jalen Adams is like dude you're right there inbound it to me and Sure enough, Adam gets it. You know, Mick Cronin can say whatever he wants about steps or whatever, but he gets the shot off and then gets it off in time and drains it from three-quarter court. And, you know, the rest uh, the rest is history in that game. UConn goes on to win that game, huge, but still felt like there might be work that needed to be done even after winning that game, you know, being, being a bubble team. So they go out the next day. They finally play a good game against Temple, the number one seed in the conference, beat them by 15, you know, after a day after playing four overtimes then having to play at three o'clock the next day, go in and knock off the Owls in a big win and then really handle Memphis no problem in uh, the championship game the way they had also in the regular season. They beat they, they beat them by three at home, Memphis, but then they beat them by 20 on the road, and this felt more like the 20-point game at times. Uh, 72-58, UConn wins its only American Athletic Conference title, uh, and then they get the nine seed in the NCAA tournament, so you look at it and you're like, well, UConn's back in the tournament, UConn deserves to be here, but this sucks, <laughs> so you go out, you beat Colorado, um, pretty back and forth game, UConn takes care of care of Colorado, 74-67, and then you run into Kansas, Kansas was really good, and... You know, you know, Kansas was obviously in the national title conversation. Frank Mason, Wayne Saldin, Devontae Graham, Landon Lucas, and Perry Ellis was their starting lineup. Perry Ellis in his tenth year, uh, his tenth senior year, I should say.
0: So, and, so hold on. Let's let me make the uh, overworked uh, joke of the week. Are you telling yeah, me that uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Perry Ellis is uh, Kansas's version of you? Is that is yes, that what we're talking exactly. about? So you 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 are Perry Ellis is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, and
1: and I and. Me, him, Luke, Harringotti. We all get together every um, every year or so for a reunion of all these guys who were at college for fifteen years.
0: Damn! What a club. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Uh, what can you do in this game? I mean, Kansas never, never in doubt. They had runs of sixteen nothing, nineteen nothing. They. It was pretty much when you look at the win probability, it never got like never hovered lower than around 75% for Kansas. I, um,
0: I remember, so I actually did not get to watch this game because uh, my, my wife's company was having like their big annual holiday party, which was, which yo. was a good time. It was a, it was a, you know, so it was, it was absolutely worth being at. And anyway, I just remember at one point I just hop on Twitter and I'm, or I maybe text somebody. I forget exactly how it went down. I'm just like, so uh how's the game going? And the response I got was there's a lot of blood, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think, yeah the best way i can put it when uh is looking at the largest lead either team had um, UConn's Yukon's largest lead was 5 to 2 a minute 50 into the game okay um with 348 left in the first half Kansas led 40 to 16
0: oh oh no
1: yeah it, it wasn't cute the it wasn't final great. the
0: final score actually is respectable they ended up making it only yeah. 73 to 61 which is it feels like it was a lot worse than that to be honest right
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, look, Daniel Hamilton had a pretty rough shooting game. He ended up with 11 points. He was one of nine inside the three-point line. Um, The three-point shooting really helped him. Sterling Gibbs was four of nine. He ended up with 20. Um, Rodney Purvis missed like five threes, but he was still on 17 points. Sean Miller had a rough shooting game. Um, He ended up with two. Jalen Adams had seven. So it was just... uh, it wasn't great all around offensively, but you know, you're playing against Kansas. It's going to be very difficult. So, um, you know, I think we all kind of made our peace when, when the bracket was made. And then, you know, if UConn can put up a fight against the Jayhawks, great. And, but that's, you know, that's the curse of playing in the eight, nine game, but you know, overall a a good season for UConn. It's obviously not one of the most well-remembered. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to call it underrated. I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest teams in UConn history, but there were some there were some high points. This was a team that ranked 12th in defensive efficiency. Again, only lost to good teams for the most part. I think Temple being their worst loss, and you know Temple was the regular season champion in the American. Um, so you know, not bad overall. This was actually also interestingly enough when we're talking about UConn, the best free throw shooting team in the country. 79.3 percent they were elite from the line they didn't yeah. get to the line very often but they uh but when they got there they didn't miss
0: yeah you got to give Kevin Ollie credit for that his teams were always really good at shooting free throws you know that the, the yeah. 2014 championship team was the same way they would just keep on making them no problem so kind of an yeah. a- interesting thing to excel at um yeah so I mean obviously like it's a really interesting team with a lot of like kind of It has an interesting place in the program's history and daniel hamilton i feel like is a really great kind of microcosm because that dude was great but like yeah like his like like i don't know the resonance within like the yukon pantheon of players you know frankly you don't really hear people talk about him very much even though he was really good what so you know i guess what was his deal and like you know i guess at least to the extent that you remember from this, from this season, like kind of you know what what kind of what was his game and uh, just sort of his his like role within UConn this season in, in history in history in general. Basically, um, that's very broad, history, I know, but I'm just you know we go just talk about Daniel Hamilton basically. <laughs> yeah, I think he he's James
1: Knight a few years before, um, you know, obviously the easy comparison star player played two years and then goes on to the NBA and leaves without uh, you know as much as we loved him, not a whole lot of pop and circumstance, but, I mean, this guy did literally everything for you. He was the guy the, the whole year. I know Purvis ended up as the leading scorer, technically, but, I mean, watching Daniel Hamilton play, he was so good on both ends of the floor doing everything. Like, literally, like, I called him a Swiss Army knife, and I meant it. Like, he was doing just about everything you could ask of a guy. I mean, he, you know, an excellent shooter, um, excellent shooter, great distributor. He was the leading rebounder by a lot. He averaged eight point nine rebounds. The next closest was Brimah four point six. I'm sorry, uh, Sean Miller five point two. I lost my place, but still, just far and away the best rebounder on a team that you know really struggled on the boards overall. But I mean, he was great defensively. Made a lot of, uh, made some really good steals. Made a lot of great defensive plays. Um, anything you needed him to do, he could do. And I think that was so important on this team. You know, there was, you know, it was a a sneaky, talented team, but it needed that guy who could do everything and do everything well. And it just kind of, it sucks that he didn't really go on to have a big NBA career. I think that we felt like there was some real potential there and it just never really panned out for him.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny you 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 know look at his like stat line. It is crazy. Like he was like the basically the leading scorer, by far the best rebounder, and by far the best distributor. It's like not very many guys in UConn history can really lay claim to that. Like you know you or either because the rest of the team was so good that you had guys that that was just their job, or I don't know, just you know it's just it's just a really difficult thing to do. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's so, it's so, it's just kind of interesting how, here's a question I have. He left after his sophomore year. Do you think it would have yeah. been better for him to have stayed? Or I guess at this point, like did he kind of max out at UConn and you know, what, what happened would have happened no matter what.
1: I always thought that it would have been better if he stayed. Um, I, i not just for, not just for UConn because obviously from there, UConn went on to three straight losing seasons and it was miserable, but I really think, for him, like it was a real opportunity to you know really establish himself as like this star player who could have had a couple another year to develop. I really think it would have been healthy for him, but you know at the same time, he, he, the team he would have come back to would have been nothing close to what he had. Um, you know, it you know it was you know. A couple, a couple of returning guys, but the the consistent lineup was Jalen Adams, Christian Vital, Rodney Purvis, Kenton Facy, and Mita Brima. I mean, he probably phases out someone like you know either either Purvis sits or Vital sits in that situation. But there's not a whole lot behind them anyway that really made this a a good team. This was obviously those next two years were bad. Um, obviously, a couple guys had to come along quicker because Hamilton left. But um, yeah, it was it would have been. It could have it could have backfired on him. You know, there there are guys who have come back, and I'm thinking multiple sports here that, you know, they think that that last year will be healthy for them. They think they have some unfinished business. They can really they can really boost themselves. But you know, if you come back on a bad team, it can haunt you. Yeah. And I think for him, you know, I think he weighed the weighed the odds and you know took what he thought was the best bet.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, just to, one one more quick thing. It's interesting that I, I see the, um, their top four scores all were like right, at, right around 12 points. So really yeah. balanced scoring. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Sean Miller and Sterling Gibbs were obviously two of the big guys. And Miller in particular, I feel like, is one of the most successful transfer guys UConn's had. You know, a lot of these guys sometimes don't work out or they're not really, you know, sometimes the hype, they don't really match up to the hype that maybe they have coming in we all kind of build them up to something they're not but Miller was really good tell us a little about him and kind of his uh his deal and his role on this team
1: yeah he was uh he was a small big you know a guy who comes in at six seven two ten and he's the he's the four whenever he's on uh whenever he's out there you know sometimes playing the five if Breimer or Nolan gets into trouble um uh, and he did it well I mean he was You know, he wasn't really a star, but he was, you know, he was one of those guys who you could always count on to produce. Um, You know, he, he had, he did a great job, obviously, getting to the rim. Um, He was, you know, he was so physical, you know, even if he didn't necessarily look like the biggest, strongest guy out there, he could, you know, he could go up against anybody and really, really give him a go. You know, offensively, defensively, he did everything. We knew we were getting a solid player when he came in from Cornell, but, I don't think anyone really expected him to be as productive, and I think, you know, without him, you're looking at a team that probably doesn't end up winning the conference. No,
0: for sure. He was awesome. I, I, I thought, yeah. I was really impressed with him that whole season. So, um, yeah, so I guess any other thoughts on this team before we uh, we go into the 2004 team? <laughs>
1: um, no matter what happened, you know, no matter how many times he failed to step up in the big moment, no matter how little his production was on this team, I will always love Omar Calhoun. I I was the Omar Calhoun stan. Me and I think Dan Madigan were uh, the guys who carried that banner through his senior year here, but uh, you know, after what he did his freshman year, I always held out hope that Calhoun would step up in the big moments and obviously he didn't, but he was still a lovable guy.
0: That shot he made against Georgetown as a freshman ruled. I, that was one yes. of my favorite UConn moments ever.
1: <laughs> yep, that ranks among the five loudest moments I've ever heard at Gamble.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to him, but you know, I, I always appreciated him and just you know yeah. his, his whole, his whole game. All right, yeah, so and
1: Purvis was a weird one too. You know, I, I, I I love, was,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I love Purvis. Yeah, I love Purvis. But yeah, he was. Yeah. He, he maybe a guy uh, definitely but. a guy i think we all kind of like thought he was going to come in and just be this monster when you know in, in reality he was simply very good and that's fine yeah. like he was he was very good he was he was one of the best players Yukon had for you know the whole time he was here but you know like problem was is that he was also one of the best players Yukon had the whole time he was here which was <laughs> kind of the part of the problem so um, yeah. Anyway, lots
1: of talent, lots of inconsistency.
0: Yeah. So uh, let's talk about a team that had a lot of talent. So the 2004 team. um, Yeah. My God, what a team, huh? <laughs> so <laughs> they were okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking down the lineup here. So they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine guys ranked in the top 100 of their recruiting class. Uh, they had six. Uh, yeah, six guys who would go on to play in the NBA. Uh, They they were very very big. They were very mean. They were very good, and they just I mean pound for pound, really one of UConn's most dominant teams ever. Uh, Not really much drama with this team, you know. They were ranked in the top, uh, you know, they were ranked near the top of the 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 poll almost the whole season. There was a brief stretch where they dipped down as low as eight and nine, but really you know this team was ranked number one coming into the season, and by the time it was over, there was really no doubt about who was the best team in the country. Uh, so, you know, Emeka Okafor, this is his junior year. He wins National Player of the Year and just just an absolute monster, you know, with a 6'10, 252-pound uh, center. Uh, you know, averaged 17.6 points per game, 11.5 rebounds. He was clutch as hell. Just, ah, uh, man, I mean,. It, we had, we, you know, we had at this point, like, seen the glimpses. We we knew that it was heading in this direction, but he truly did become, blossom into this just epic player. Like, really, it's almost, like, he's almost become underrated at this point, right? Would that be fair to say, like, when people talk about the greatest UConn players ever, you know, he's... I don't know if he's necessarily the first player people mention, but it, it, he probably should be mentioned more often than he is. Cause just what he did for Yukon and this season, especially <laughs> was just unbelievable. Um,
1: it's ridiculous. He's in that Pantheon, no doubt. And he's one of the first names when, he, when you're putting together, like, you know, those freaking Mount Rushmore things. He's got to be up there.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's unbelievable really. And obviously yeah. just a super high character guy. He was drafted number two in the draft and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Ben Gordon was, like, his guy, his running mate. He uh, was the team's leading scorer with 18.5 points per game. Uh, also pretty productive, also, you know, 7, 4.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists. But, I mean, I mean, that dude could score in bunches. Uh, you know, he obviously, he was number three overall pick. So, you know, talent-wise, you know, this is one of UConn's most talented teams ever in that respect, for sure. And, you know, and then what's just wild is you just go down the list. So, first, you have Rashad Anderson, who was, like, you know, obviously, we love Rashad Anderson, one of the great shooters in program history. Just a gamer, a baller. He had 11.2 points per game. Denim Brown, this was his sophomore year, just a super, just a, just an awesome like scorer. Just did a lot of really good things. Well, you know, Charlie Villanueva is, this is his freshman year. So you have Emeka Okafor, who's already huge and dominant, and then you have this big freshman come in and just. You know six foot 11, 240. I mean, Villanueva was a feature lottery pick himself, and I mean, that dude was a handful. Uh, Josh Boone, another freshman center, 6'10, 237, and Hilton Armstrong, a 6'11, 235. I mean, you, you want to talk like you want to talk about big? I mean, this, this, team, this team was just crazy, crazy big and like <laughs> intimidating. And you know, we, we all, like lo- love to talk about the 2006 and 2019 for how big and athletic they were, but I mean, these guys, I mean, my god, like. just a bunch of men just an absolute (laughs) monster factory uh which will we're gonna have some fun discussing those matchups by the way in a little bit uh that's a 2004 front court versus 2016 front court uh i'm gonna repeat myself uh there's gonna be a lot of blood (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and then obviously uh you know rounding out the backcourt to brown is a senior just an Unbelievable player, just you know, he was kind of their main distributor. Uh, Marcus Williams is on this team too as a freshman. He he averaged more assists per game than I realized uh, four point three assists even as a freshman. wasn't necessarily one of like their main guys, but between him, Gordon, Talik, uh, and Rashad, I mean that that was a that was a good group. Um, it's it's unbelievable, just all those names I just listed off is like you know any one of those guys could have been if not the best player on two thousand sixteen, you know, pretty high up on the list. So. Man, 2004. Um, yeah. What you? Know, what was obviously you were like well into your like UConn fandom by this point. What you, what was your experience watching the 2004 team?
1: You just you knew. I mean, I remember being in a rage when they lost to Georgia Tech early in the season, and just and that was a bad loss. And just thinking like, what the hell happens from here? But then they just went on a tear, and you're like, all right, this is like if they're not if they're not the best team in the country, I don't know. I don't know who is. Uh, they were. I mean, start to finish, it just felt it felt like this was going to be the team that ended up winning the national title. Even, even when they lost a couple of games in the middle of the season, you were just like, "Well, you don't have anyone who can beat this team when it counts." And you know, even with them playing as well as they were, and with the women playing as well as they were, it just felt like a like a season of destiny was like it was coming.
0: Yeah, well, it, it came for sure. I yeah. mean, just a. What they did I mean, so yeah, the, the Georgia Tech loss was was really weird, but ultimately poetic because they end up playing them in the national title later on in the <laughs> a game that was extremely anticlimactic, really. Um but yeah, so non-conference play they just steamroll well other than Georgia Tech, they steamroll everybody. Like, you know, 111 to 64 to Sacred Heart, uh, 104 to 54 to Iona, uh 101 to 62 to Ball State. I mean it's you know, there's just some epic beatdowns being laid all over the place. Um, you know, enter a Big East play, uh, and let me just make sure I'm not missing anything. They won their first Big East game. Can you believe it? Wow! So their first Big East the game, road. they go on the road at Rutgers, and uh, look, it's close, uh, seventy five to seventy four. But you know, the, the the Big East opener curse couldn't get them. So that that's really what should tell <laughs> you a lot. Um, you know, they end up losing a couple of games. They lost that WTF game in the Providence. Which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that that was so that was the one at Gamble that I believe was what prompted the. Uh, the uh, the famous calhoun rant uh, i'm I, i'm getting the my dates right right uh, the ryan gomes um, one
1: oh the i got a meko okafor Karan butler they're not bad
0: yeah that's the yeah, one I, like, th- I think i yeah that was that was so funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is like I watch that now, and everyone like you know everyone was like, oh my god, Calhoun just totally like went off, and it was like it was crazy. And I watched it, I was like, actually, to be honest, he was kind of just being himself, and like he wasn't really being disrespectful. He was just like he yeah. like there was a moment where he like stops and thinks, and he makes like a facial expression. I'm like, oh, he's not like ripping, he's not going going yeah. off. He's just being Calhoun, just a l- little yeah. bit more animated than usual.
1: <laughs> I, just, I love, I love. You want me to say I effed up? <laughs> the I forget who the reporter was, but I didn't say you effed up. <laughs> and,
0: <laughs>
1: and it just felt like Calhoun was like trying to like this had been bottling up in him, and he just had to air it out on somebody.
0: It was so great. Uh, shout out to Calhoun. He's a good, good, great coach. A lot of fun. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So uh, Big East uh, season. Obviously, they're they're pretty pretty. I wouldn't say totally dominant. They, they end up only going 12 and four in the conference. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, there were some injuries at play here too, I think. Right. So I think so. Yeah. So it was like, not quite like a wire the wire domination, uh, but they, so they don't win the biggest regular season championship, but they do win the big East tournament. And, and uh, you know, it, for the most, yeah. So they, yeah, they played pits. Uh, they played Pitt in the final, which was like the rubber match of their three, uh, their, I guess we'll say three year series in the, Big East Tournament Championship. And they they won that one uh, 61 58. And yeah, springboard right into the tournament as the number two seed, as a number two seed, actually, um, kind of a consequence of a couple of the late losses. They had losses at Notre Dame, uh, at Pitt, and at Syracuse uh, in like the kind of the last month or so of the season. But, you know, once they get to the tournament, you know, Vermont, no problem. DePaul, no problem. Vanderbilt, no problem. Uh, You know, Alabama. So really not challenged at all in the first, like, you know, the first up, up until the final four, really. And then we got Duke. Um, really the, the really memorable, the really Epic matchup of this season. Uh, obviously they're, they had history, uh, in the national championship game from 2000, excuse me, from 99. And, uh, this game really lived up to the bill too. Uh, Okafor gets in foul trouble. Uh, Duke kind of builds up a big, you know, I think it was, I think it wound up being a seven point lead with all like four minutes left or something like that. And then here comes Okafor take they. They they end up scoring the last uh, however many points to take the lead and uh, there was like one last like three pointer at the buzzer I think but otherwise UConn got it done and uh, handed Mike Shashevsky uh, our uh, soon to be ex Duke coach uh, only one year left in his uh, his career it turns out now uh, this year not yeah obviously uh, yeah and then they get the rem- <laughs> yeah then they get the rematch with Georgia Tech and just smoke them. And that was a great time. Uh, it was a great team. I uh, I feel really good about you know this this was really just a team like anybody who doubted UConn at this point it was like no 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 this this UConn they're a blue blood and this is this is just how they this is just how it's gonna be this they're putting dominant teams out there and now what are you gonna say about this team come on like people people in '99 who were like oh well Duke is this great team and UConn's the scrappy underdog the 2004 UConn team was like just like a sumo wrestler trying to fight a bunch of children it was just it was just unbelievably <laughs> dominant. <sighs> so, oh anyway, let, let's let's talk about how these teams would fare. And why don't we just start with the elephant in the room? What the hell is Phil Nolan and Amita Braima? Who, respect to Amita Braima, he's now an NBA player. So, shout out to him. Yes. How the hell Love are they that. gonna How the hell are they gonna guard Okafor and Villanueva and Boone and all these dudes? <laughs>
1: Wrap them up and hope you don't get called for a five fouls. I don't know. Look, uh, this is gonna be tough. This is gonna be a, this is where it's gonna be a really bad matchup for 2016, and I'm not gonna deny that. Um, especially since you know, with all that size, you know, you're only having one of Braima and Nolan on the floor, and then you're maybe turning the facey or Enoch if you have to in terms of size, but you have Sean Miller on the floor. You can't not have Sean Miller on the floor in this game. And at six, seven, he's guarding UConn's four or O fours O fours four, and that just sounded really weird coming out of my mouth. Um, so you're looking at him, you know, he's guarding Josh Boone. He's guarding, you know, he's guarding Charlie Villanueva at six, seven against guys who are six, 10, six, 11. It's going to be hard. I mean, he's, He's capable of it. I mean, he you know he did a great like, oh well, he did a re- he did a really good job, especially down the stretch against you know Cincinnati in that in that famous game. And of course, Cincinnati always has size. You look at guys like um, like Clark and um, DeBerry from that team. I was I was blanking on the uh, on the guys who were standing out. They were both six ten, and Miller did a really good job against them. But you know if those guys aren't Villanueva. They're not Boone. They're not Okafor. So that's gonna be a really nightmare matchup for 16 for sure
0: right for sure I feel like I could run down the list and keep on have we can keep on putting you on the defensive so I'll let you why don't you ask me some questions and kind of try to see how I guess I can justify you know 2004s case in a couple of these instances which I hopefully anticipate <laughs> won't be that difficult for me to do but let's, uh, yeah. let's give it give me give me a couple of shots here
1: all right well you've got like obviously, the one guy if 2004 is looking to shut down 2016 is, you know, UConn's quarterback, UConn's wide receiver, UConn's, you know, call him linebacker or whatever, Daniel Hamilton, um, or I guess a safety, I don't know, I'm using football references in basketball, I'm just being ridiculous at the moment. UConn, 2016's best player is clearly Daniel Hamilton, and he can do literally everything. So how do you stop the guy who can do literally everything?
0: It's interesting. I think well the answer is with a total uh, team effort, uh, which 2004 was perfectly equipped to handle players like him. They they dealt with guys of Hamilton's cal you know caliber quite you know all the time. I mean the Big East in that that era of course was really strong. Uh, in terms of just more specifics, um, you know interestingly enough, the three is maybe the 2004 teams. You know obviously they were all set at the five. They were all set at the two. You know, Taliq Brown is, you know, a guy you absolutely can count on at the one. Um, and, then you know, four is some rotating cast of ogres who are just going to take care of business. So, you know, at the three, I guess it depends on kind of the matchup of the time. But Denham Brown, or Rashad Anderson, I feel like are kind of your most likely candidates to step in and sort of be on that matchup. So it, it's interesting. Like defensively, I don't know if that's necessarily a matchup that necessarily favors 2004. And at the same time, like, you know, Hamilton is going to have to do a lot and he's not going to be able to out-rebound the 2004 team's bigs. So that's one area where you don't really have as big a problem. Uh, In terms of distribution, 2004 is going to be able to cover a lot of the other guys. So they don't necessarily have to worry about what Hamilton is going to do with the ball, like, you know, in terms of playmaking. So if the worst you have to, you know, and then as far as scoring, Hamilton wasn't like, he didn't score in bunches. Like if they can if, if Hamilton scored 15, 20 points, I think 2004 could live with that. So I guess it's just simply a matter of trying to limit what he can do in all the other areas of the game and just trust that you're good enough that at the end of the day, all you really got to do is just, you know, get the ball in Okafor or Gordon's hands and, you know, the offense you get from them is going you know, neg- to, you know, negate whatever Hamilton has uh, up his sleeve.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. It's going to be, you know, he's obviously going to have to take over in this matchup and... You know, I think he's certainly capable of it. Uh, obviously, but carrying, you know, carrying a team with limited production from from the rest would be really difficult. So you really have to hope that Amida Brima steps up and you know has the game of his life, blocks a few shots, and stays out of foul trouble, and really controls that rim on defense. And that's going to be a big ask for him. But you know, with you know, they the thing is like they have they have bigs, they have length and they have guys who can block shots and, you know, disrupt play around the rim, but you can only have one of them out there at a time on this team, unless you go, you know, you go really big and you, you know, do you do Breima and, you know, a Kenton facey again and Miller with Hamilton and either, you know, you're probably going, you know, Purvis or, you know, you probably go Purvis over Gibbs, or do you do Gibbs over Purvis?
0: Um, that, it's gonna be it's gonna be a conundrum. I mean, if I, you, go... I think that lineup is really problematic though because you have no yeah, you have no playmaking whatsoever really at that point. Yeah, and yeah. and even um, still, yeah. like even in theory, maybe sure that lets you compete with them physically, but you you can't though. Those guys can't <laughs> physically. None of those guys can match up with 2004's big. So you know, at that point, really, you just I think 2016's plan is simply you just gotta get the best guys on the court as often as possible and just just yeah. try to play really good team basketball. Right. I mean, that's seems like yeah, that would for sure. be what, I mean, that would be the natural thing. Yeah. Um, hope
1: the threes fall because you're not necessarily driving to the rim. I mean, they had some guys who were, you know, who were decent three point shooters, you know, Purvis at 38 and a half percent. Hamilton wasn't great, but he could hit it. Gibbs was 38.7%. Miller. I, no, not Miller. Uh, just, his, just, just looking at his percentage. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, Calhoun could come in in a pinch and hit a three if he needed to, but Calhoun's not going to see the floor much in this game. Um, so you're going to have to hope that Purvis and Gibbs are hitting those threes and just to just to stay in the game. That'll be a tough ask, but, you know, if they're falling, they fall.
0: Yeah, so. definitely. I guess, I mean, crazier things have happened. I mean, the 2016 team is a perfect example of crazier things have happened because, yeah, <laughs> some crazy things yeah. happen. Um, yeah, so I guess just in terms of backcourt, what do you think of this uh, kind of Jalen Adams, uh, and, you know, Sterling Gibbs, Rodney Purvis kind of matching up against the 2004 teams group of, uh, I guess it would be Talik Brown, uh, Ben Gordon, and, uh, I will say Marcus Williams, you know, to whatever extent he's, uh, kind of involved here. What do you, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah. that kind of, that whole thing.
1: Well, the thing with 2016 is they were such a great defensive team and, you know, they really, they really. Disrupted play in the front court and the back court. They didn't allow a lot of points. They were 14th in the country in points allowed and sixth in field goal percentage on the defensive end of the floor. So they're a team that can really shut you down and get you to play in a, you know, playing an ugly game. Obviously, this is a team with talent that they did not see in that 2016 season. But um, especially Gibbs and Adams, really good defensive players. Purvis to an extent. Um, if they can. You know, if they can try to force some turnovers in the in the backcourt, then you've got a chance to get out on the break. This is a team that could run for sure, and I mean, but obviously they run the risk of getting beat. They're prone to mistakes, and you know, so they would just have to they would have to limit those as best they can. And if they can really, if they can make this a transition game, then they might have a
0: chance. Well, I guess uh, we'll just have to see. So um, I feel like that's I feel like that's pretty much all that we really need to say about this matchup. So yeah, why don't we uh, so. Look, I've kind of made my case already for the 2014, so why don't I give you uh, one minute to make your case for the 2016 team, and then I'll take uh, 10 seconds afterwards to make my case, and you can rebut if you want, or we can just move on, because uh, <laughs> whatever, however All you right. want to do it. So give me just a moment as I pull up the watch here, and um, yeah, I guess, uh, Tim, tell us why the 2016 team would beat the 2014 in a game. In three, two, one, go.
1: Well, the short answer is 99 times out of 100. No, they're not winning this game. This is, you know, 2004 is clearly way more talented, a better team overall. But this 2016 team had guts. They had heart. They played great defense. They were, you know, they fought for every point they got, and they were a successful team. You know, look, this is, you know, Daniel Hamilton didn't necessarily take over every game but he was a guy who was certainly capable of it. And if, you know, saying, oh, you just got to shut down Daniel Hamilton, it's a very tall ask. And if he can have a huge game here, and if the shots are falling for Purvis and Gibbs, and if they're playing good defense and, you know, getting out in transition, or if the ball gets to the rim, Sean is not afraid to go up against a guy who's three, four inches taller than him. He can disrupt a lot of play there. And if you can limit those chances for 4 then, you know, this team might... Just have a chance to be Oral Roberts. It's a tall ask, but you know this team had a lot of tall asks, and they came through.
0: Time. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I'm not. Let's not bother with the timekeeping. I'll I'll just simply say for the 2004 team, just everyone envision in your head: Ameka Okafor, Charlie Villanueva, and you know so whoever you know Ben Gordon, whatever other combination you want, taking the court against Phil Nolan. And Amita Brima and whoever else from 2016. Just thinking about it in your head, and I think I I think that's all I really need to say. So, uh, <laughs> Tim, do you have anything else you'd like to add, or, or what do you or what do you think? Um,
1: 2016 was a lovable group of guys who really gave us something to believe in when everything seemed really bad.
0: Well, I won't dispute that. That's true. I mean, God, 2016 was fun. Like. During what was otherwise a really terrible time, really in, in yeah. UConn history and like just the history in general. Man, man. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's yeah. This is
1: like it's you, you know. Two thousand four is gonna win this game. Like I said, ninety nine times out of a hundred, probably a hundred out of a hundred if we're being perfectly honest. But yeah, um, this team did have heart. This two thousand sixteen team, you know, you know things that aren't necessarily technical basketball qualities. I you know they. They put up a hell of a fight, for sure. Um, it, would it be futile? You know, probably. This is a team that played ugly games and against Temple and Tulsa, so that doesn't really fill me with a lot of confidence against you know against So far, but they also played a lot of really good games and they they fought back into games against way better teams. Um, you know, way better teams, obviously than those than those that I just mentioned. You know that that kansas game comes to mind where they've really they fought like hell and you know obviously kansas is probably from that season the best comp for oh four and you know well we see what happens but you know yeah. that second half was way better than the first one that's yeah. for sure so if we can get a, a game that's more like the second half then you know we'll see
0: yeah well i'll tell you this much i would absolutely pay money to watch this game if nothing else yeah. just because now that i like really looked at the, the front court matchup i'm just like you know what it'd be like it'd be like watching the toon squad play the monstars only michael jordan is either injured or has like kind of decided he's he's done with the whole thing so yeah yeah he's not gonna
1: he's not gonna have the team drink the michael's secret stuff
0: it would be let's just say it would be a bit of a freak show but i'd be i'd be into it (laughs) i think it'd be fun (laughs) <laughs> yeah and then afterwards yeah, we can sure. afterwards we can all once we we scrape 2016 off of the pavement we can uh i go have a laugh at the dairy bar together because hey look no disrespect to 2016 i, I love that team i love those guys yeah but hey 2004 it's come on <laughs> It's one of the <laughs> one of the contenders for this whole this whole this whole exercise so um anyway so we'll leave it there so why don't we uh, and we'll leave it to you guys all the listeners to uh You know, settle this debate. Uh, You know, we'll have the poll posted. uh, You know, this will be this episode will be up Tuesday morning. So I'll have the poll posted sometime before noon. Uh, And uh, yeah, poll will be open till Friday. And, you know, hope you guys all um, if nothing else, let's have some some good old uh, 2004 and 2016 talk on Twitter. I think there's a lot of uh, good memories from these teams for sure. And, um, and then, so Tim, we were talking about this, uh, off the air, but going forward, I think now that we've actually like talked about all the teams, uh, so, you know, all the teams who have advanced, you know, we kind of told their whole stories, we're going to start to condense this a little bit and we're going to do the next rounds, uh, all at once, uh, for two reasons. One, because like we said, we don't need to repeat ourselves and, uh, you know, it kind of, it makes more sense. Now we can just focus on the matchups and we can just bang through each of the next week. It'll be the, the uh, four quarterfinal matchups and then and then the two semis and then the finals. And, uh, the other reason why we need to do that is, uh, kind of running out of time. (laughs) So my, uh, my, my wife's due date has been moved up a week and now I'm looking at it. It's like, all right, so do I really want to start the semifinals? Like when I have like a week old newborn? I don't think so. We need (laughs) to clock is ticking. So we're going to, we're going to accelerate this. And I think we're going to have a real, a real good time down the stretch. And, uh, The the quarterfinal matchups are going to be awesome. Here, you know, let me uh, let me pull up the uh, let me kind of filibuster for a second. So, Tim, I don't know. What do you assuming two thousand four wins, which I kind of feel like is almost a formality. But what do you what what are your thoughts on the first round so far and how things have played out?
1: It's been fun. Um, Obviously, a lot of results that weren't a surprise. Um, Maybe one or two, but some really great debate uh, among UConn fans and some really good memories coming up. Um, and just a recognition that we've had, had some we been spoiled. We've had some really, really good teams. And you know, I, I love when we get into these matches and we're talking about, well, this team only made the Elite Eight or this team only made the Sweet 16. And, you know, they really should have won the national championship that year. And it's like, well, we've won four since 99, which is more than any other program. We We've been around even when we've been bad. Like, we've been around. And that's just like... I, I just find that incredible. I think this has just reminded me how great it is to, to be a UConn basketball fan and how we've really had some incredible years. And, you know, this is what we're trying to build back to with a team that ended up as the 16th seed in this bracket, with that 2021 team that really gave us a lot of hope and a lot of optimism heading into the future. And we've got, uh, we've got a great team coming together for 2022 that will uh, hopefully get us closer to – according to putting more teams in this bracket.
0: Definitely. It'll, it'll be fun maybe like 10 or 15 years down the road. We'll see the 2.0 version and see like how many of these teams are still on the list and how many have gotten bumped by great yeah. teams to come. So, uh, yeah, I got the full bracket here. So our quarterfinals will consist of 1999 versus 95, which is going to be a banger because 95 is so sneaky good, and obviously 99 is probably one of the favorites to win this whole thing. Uh, 95 the, knocked
1: out a champion too. They That's, did. That's uh,
0: that's special. Yeah. Uh, actually, to be honest, I think the only upset of this tournament so far, because um, then on the next one down, you have the four versus five matchup. We have the Kemba Walker's 2011 team. They're matched up against the uh, precursor to the 99 title team, uh, Rip Hamilton's 98 team, which is a really good team and you know has obviously gotten a lot of respect in this bracket so far. The next one, of course, the three seed 2009 against the six seed 2006, which is Wow, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be fun, <laughs> and uh, lastly, we'll have um, the number seven seeded ninety six team led by Ray Allen, of course, versus uh, the winner of this two thousand four versus sixteen matchup. We'll play, Very diplomatic. We'll we'll see how we'll see how that plays out, and then yeah, off off we go from there. So uh, yeah, I guess that's all I got, Tim. Do you got anything else to add uh, for the people?
1: Um, basketball wise no but shout out to the UConn baseball team for winning the Big East title and then making it uh you know putting up a fight in the South Bend regional obviously didn't pan out the season's now over but you know what once again an exciting year of watching UConn baseball and showing that a team in a small town in the northeast can really do something special.
0: It was a, it was a fun weekend obviously it was the the Notre Dame game wasn't very much fun but they, UCon- it's not
1: fair—they have the home field new big new Saturday bump. That's not uh, fair.
0: Yeah, that's true. They got they. It was UConn <laughs> never stood a chance. Oh well. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good time. Good good times with baseball. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks all so much for listening. Uh, be sure to vote uh, again. My uh, Twitter is uh, at Max Cerullo. M A C C E R U L L O. I'll have that poll posted this uh, you know by the time you hear this probably. And uh, yeah, you can email us at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, Apple uh, Podcasts, uh, please leave us five-star reviews. Helps us in those search rankings. And we'll be back next week with the quarterfinals. And this should be a good time. So you guys all be good and uh, y'all have a good one, okay? Talk to you later.